to the weekly podcast of Science and the City, the public gateway to the New York Academy of Sciences, online at scienceandthecity.org. Today is Friday, June 12, 2009. I'm Alana Rangi. A couple of years ago, artist Stuart Matthew had an idea to write an opera. Now, this wasn't your usual three-hour classical masterpiece. In fact, it wasn't very usual at all. Matthew wanted to write a scent opera, fusing sound with smell to create a -a one-of-a-kind synesthetic experience. To help him, he recruited a world-renowned perfumer, Christophe Laudemier, and two composers, Nico Muley and Valgier Sigurdsson. He also rallied technical help from European ventilation company, Flacked Woods. Together, they created Green Aria, a 20-minute sensory experience with some precise technology behind it. I saw the Green Aria in its world premiere at the Guggenheim Museum last week. Today, we bring you a sliver of the experience, minus the smells, of course, and a bit of what went into this quirky science and art endeavor. This podcast is brought to you by Terry Mugler Parfum, the official sponsor of the Scent Opera, who once again was not afraid to give carte blanche to fragrance artists. And by Les Christophe, a duo of perfumers on a crusade to promote better education about olfaction and the art of perfumery. My name is Stuart Matthew, and I co-founded Eosphere with Christophe Laudamiel with our headquarters here in New York City. And I'm based in London at uh, the Eosphere office in London. Ascent Opera is a performance work. It's a piece that involves principally two senses, the senses of smell and sound. And it's constructed in such a way that it's a, it's a dramatic work with a story, and it is told through the, not only the two senses, but principally through the characters that are expressed in sense. The idea was to build a narrative arc, but in a very unconventional way. What I had to do was to construct something dramatically that would follow the breathing pattern of the individual. I thought, okay, across all individuals, what is the normal breathing pattern? You know, how much time do I have to give for everybody, whether it's an 85-year-old person attending a performance or a, I thought maybe a 17-year-old, just so happens we had 10-year-olds in our audience. If I constructed a piece and I wanted to shift the drama and I wanted to move the drama from breath to breath, how much time did I have to give for each breath? And I estimated six seconds, a six-second cycle would, would, would just about do it. Also, you know, you have to realize that if one person is breathing in, there might be other people exhaling at that time as well. So you're trying to accommodate in one shot, allowing everybody to take in breathing normally uh, what's happening dramatically. In other words, not miss a scent that might be uh, presented. So I'm uh, Christophe Flodamiel, I'm a perfumer, uh, meaning I create uh, fragrances. For instance, what we call alcoholic fragrances, which are the fragrances that uh, you would wear on skin. I've created for uh, laundry products, for candles, and also for, uh, obviously, aerial renditions. I knew I wanted to do it right away, because I've always thought that uh, perfumery 
we have a lot of uh, opportunities ready to go backstage. I always say we are almost at the level of pharmaceutical industry in the sophistication of things. We are at the level of uh, music and uh, visual art in terms of uh, aesthetic. We are an art just like they are, eh? exactly the same. But in terms of uh, what we show to the public, we do only very limited things. So we do some great things, but I always say it's probably 30% of what we can do with the sense of smell. And so we need a lot of initiatives that have never been done before. Some should be even controversial, for instance. Well, the Santo Prize is not a controversial piece, but it's, uh, it's something that had a lot of challenges. If I had thought of, uh, of all the challenges, well, I would have said no even before starting. What do I like about smell? For me, it was the perfect combination between sensibilities, aesthetic, and chemistry. I love, 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 love chemistry. And I love, 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 love perfumery, obviously. I wanted to be a chef for quite a bit uh, as a little kid. And then I went into uh, chemistry and I found chemistry really, really fabulous. My last uh, training in uh, chemistry as a student happened to be in flavor chemistry. And that's where I say, oh my God, but this is super interesting. And then the flavorist told me that there was an area even more interesting, which was, I'm sure now they regret, perfumery, because we use a lot of the notes that they have, like vanilla and chocolate and apples. And to be a chemist in perfumery allows you to understand a lot of effects and also it gives you ideas to explore certain new areas. It gives you ideas for creating new molecules. Uh, so molecules are the media for perfumer, whether it's for naturals or what people call man-made molecules. Uh, but what you smell are not frequencies like in the ears or are not wavelengths like in the eyes, but you smell molecules. Uh, voilà. So uh, if you've done chemistry, which is the art of or, and the science of uh, making and understanding molecules, bon, I think you understand uh, an extra dimension. So I'm Nico Muley, I'm a composer, I live in New York. Stuart contacted me through my publishers about a year ago, and he proposed this idea of, you know, of synchronizing sound and, and something that seemed totally insane and it seemed too it seemed too crazy to say no to he sent over this libretto of sorts which essentially is a i mean it was more of a chart it had a kind of list of time times so sort of zero and then six seconds and 12 seconds and 24 seconds from nothing to 20 basically that contained the narrative of this piece through smells and it but it was always like you know this thing evaporates this other thing turns up and it, it everything was occurring at six second intervals or or multiples of six seconds which is interesting because what that means is that there's essentially already a rhythm in place um that rhythm is one that's informed by what's supposed to be the natural breathing rhythm of a human being If I think about an iconic scent from my childhood, which would be like, you know, cut grass or whatever. Like, first I think of that, and then I think of the emotional state, and then I can extrapolate a kind of sonic landscape from it. So this is that process for me in, in reverse to a certain extent. Also, it was someone else's narrative. I mean, this is, this is the interesting thing about it. Maybe in the future we would, we would try something like this where, where I would write the music first, and then the sense would, would occur. Because, I mean, in this case, the narrative of this piece 
has a lot to do with things that I don't really think about that much, which is why it's a challenge to write. Valier and I were working on, some, on something else in his house in Iceland, which is where I, I work a lot. And Stuart flew up from London, which is where he lives, and he brought with him these little jars with slurry inside them, these kind of pebbles of saturated silicate something. Stuart came to Iceland with a jar of one of the prototypes of the scents. He came to meet us in my studio kitchen, and he, he pulled this jar from his bag and said, this is one of the characters. This is, And I think it was one of the, the worst-smelling <laughs> things, and actually it, was, uh, it wasn't ready, and, and there was something in it that even though it wasn't supposed to, made it stick on the surface of my, my kitchen table for like three or four days. <laughs> so that's the first experience we had with the... Uh, and I mean, he never said that they would all be pleasant or nice, the, the smells, but I think we were a little bit shocked by how not nice this, this one was. <laughs> I'm not sure how many characters there are. He calls them characters. In the piece, there's like maybe 25 different scents. And he brought, you know, maybe brought eight of them. It's funny because I have a really good sense of smell. And... Uh, I was sort of freaked out by it because the smells are not what I would call perfumes. They're definitely industrial smells and weird smells and smells that are, you know, synthesized of ten different things. It's hard to it's hard to pinpoint it. And I got a lot of totally different kind of emotional smell memories from a lot of them. Like for instance, there's this one that that reminded me so much of the first time I took the subway in Paris. That really rubbery smell, weird, kind of damp. And of course, he called it like you know green whatever and it's like nothing to do with what which is great i mean i think i think that's one of the one of the best things about things is that everyone can have a different reaction to it we decided to start with the most extreme of the of the piece so there's a moment called chaos that's very easy to compose there's another moment called absolute zero cold which is like freezing, kind of like an arctic landscape. That's easy to compose, and it lasts for 12 seconds. And there was another one that was like a little green sproutling being uh, reborn, and that one was also easy to compose. So we sort of started with the most extreme ones and then figured out the kind of musics that could, that could bring us between them. So you can play a scent out of a candle, you can play a scent out of your uh, fabric softener, and you can play a scent out of... There are many things uh, out there. Now, here, for the scent opera, we had to be extremely precise in terms of timing. Everybody in the audience has to smell exactly the same thing at the second. Eh? The order of magnitude is the second. Uh, you cannot have a scent like a candle that's burning for 20 minutes or for two hours. That doesn't go. The music is, uh, is gone. So you have to have a medium that allows you to play something extremely precisely. And you have to have a medium that does not contaminate the scent coming after that and does not contaminate, obviously, the theater. So if you spray something, you're going to contaminate your nose, your skin, obviously. Your skin is going to be scented. So when you spray the next scent, you're still going to have around you the, the first scent. And also, you're contaminating the theater. The next performance is totally uh, impossible to play. So for those reasons, we had to go to a, a very low dosage of scent and right away in the gaseous form. So no liquids, because as soon as you have a liquid, 
you contaminate, you contaminate your tubing. And in any case, your liquid has to go in a vapor form, in a gaseous form. The nose doesn't smell liquid, the nose smells gas. And so these are all molecules in a gas form. We had to pick what we call a dry technology, where we load the air, if you wish, with the vapors of the different scents. And so that air then is a carrier gas and brings those vapors to your nose, and the nose smells them, and then they are evacuated. And that's why Stuart had to find uh, the best ventilation company in the world to, uh, to work with us, because uh, this was key, key, key. My name is uh, Neil Yu. I'm the European Sales Director for Flatwoods. We've been working for such a long time within our industry on improving the various aspects of a building environment. We, we think about the sense of, of touch you know, through, through temperature. We, you know, we control temperature very closely. We think about the sense of sound and we make sure that our equipment is you know, very quiet and that buildings have a, an appropriate ambiance in terms of, of noise issues. We think, of course, a lot of that, about the visual aspects of our buildings. But the one sense we'd never really thought much about was that of smell. We use treatments to try and control unpleasant aromas from toilet areas and so forth that we've never really tried to enhance the smell sense. So really we see this as a, an exciting opportunity for us to really extend our whole concept of air quality to, to a new level. So we've got this large tank of clean compressed air that then feeds into one or more organs. And the current organ model that we've devised is capable of serving 25 seats. So within the Guggenheim, uh, we've got six of the organs placed around the auditorium to cover the audience of 150 people. So the compressed air from the, either the compressor or, the, or the, the tanks is fed through to uh, the organ and it then goes through a regulator to control the airflow and then passes through a series of motorised valves which are controlled by an electronic PCB board and those valves then allow the compressed air to pass through one or more cylinders. And these cylinders contain a scent slurry, which is, a, I suppose, a bit like a, a sort of granular form of, of scent. These granules of scent, as the compressed air passes over them, of course, it, it, it picks up the scent and then comes out the other side. And we have various mechanisms for controlling the airflow and the pressure so we can provide a, a boost function if we're looking for a particular impact uh, to the audience, we can put a, you know, an extra boost of air through, or if there's a particularly strong or pungent uh, scent, we can effectively tone it down by reducing the airflow so that for some reason be overwhelmed by the scent. So having gone through this organ, it then feeds out into a manifold which feeds 25 supply pipes, which are then fed underneath the seats in the auditorium. The pipe then passes up through a, a scent microphone, Named such because we've, we've simply crewed podium-type microphones, which you'd normally get at a conference podium, taken the electrical gubbins out and uh, simply passed the scent tube up inside that microphone. So each member of the audience will have one of these, and there'll just be a, a constant, gentle stream of scented air coming through that. For instance, steel, how do you do the smell of steel? Well, first of all, we don't have a steel extract and all that kind of stuff. And then, do we have a molecule that smells just of steel? No, because when, if you have, the, there are some molecules that are very metallic in perfumery, but they all come with something else. So one is very metallic mushroom. One is very metallic. As I say, nothing smells of one thing. 
So to do shiny steel, I don't want the thing to smell metallic jasmine or metallic, you see what I mean? And so you take some metallic molecules, which you think are going to fit for that concept, for the shiny steel, for instance. So I have some molecules that are very metallic, rosy. Some are very metallic, violet leaf. Some are very metallic, watery. And then you have to combine them to hide the secondary and the tertiary characters. And so it's like a... It's more than a puzzle. It's uh, you have. Uh, it's like a sea urchin. You want the the outside to look a certain way, and for for the shiny steel or for uh, the water and the air, like water and air, were extremely difficult to do. You have to hide all those beautiful elements, the anise, the jasmine. You have to hide that inside, pack it inside the fragrance so that no one sees it. And just so that the what you want to to show to show, so the 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 air, for instance, has some uh, uh, anisic molecules, some floral molecules, uh, some uh, fruity molecules, and you have to use them the reverse way that you would use them usually. You have this myth that I hope that we're going to dispel, which is that you can only withstand this assault of so many scents uh, in a limited period of time. When usually what I tell, uh, ask people is whether or not they've ever walked through a, a, a you know a grocery store or, or a supermarket because when you go through the the fruit section you're getting uh, many many different smells and you smell them and you don't collapse on the floor and writhe and have you know have people carry you out and in this particular instance what was daunting was the fact that you know certain senses are kind of sequestered in a way you know you have to focus and shift and think in a way that you normally do not you're really concentrating in a particular way that is very very new, unusual, and it, it requires more energy. And it's for that reason that we had to have those uh, relaxed intervals, if you will. That what I had to do was to figure out a way to actually implement it through the drama. What was really fascinating was that after the opera, had, had, the scent opera had concluded and the audience was filing out, there was a, a young 10-year-old in the front row sitting with his mother who actually went to speak to someone to find out a little bit more about the scent organ and to ask if her son could could see it or obviously this is a figurative way of speech because he's uh, he's blind and the 10 year old kid and uh, they approached Neil Yule of Flacked Woods Neil opened up an organ and this blind child was so taken with the with the opera and the sense and the experience and dramatically he actually pieced together the story uh, he wanted to feel the equipment he had to feel the equipment Neil opened up one of the organs and allowed him to feel the valves the hoses the manifolds and so forth this engine basically this this engine that was running the organ and the kid felt this and as he was doing so one of the stagehands from the Guggenheim was looking at that and was so touched she broke out crying. It was a perfect closing. It was a final performance. It was a perfect closing to the Saint Opera. It was it was it was it was an exceptionally special uh, moment. Thanks for tuning in this week. If you can't get enough of Science in the City, you can follow us on Twitter and you can also find us on Facebook. Science in the City is a non-profit program of the New York Academy of Sciences. 
That means we need your continued support to keep bringing you this weekly podcast series, as well as the rest of the Science in the City program, like our event series and our website. For more information or to support Science in the City today, log on to scienceandthecity.org slash donate. And as always, we'd love your feedback on any of our programs we run here at Science in the City. Send us an email at scienceandthecity at nyas.org or leave us a voicemail at 212-298-8654. We'll see you next week.